Fantastic. I tell you, it's so honored just being with you guys. My name is Chris. I'm one of the teaching pastors. And we are in week three of our Pursued series where we've been talking about the book of Hosea. Let me tell you a little bit about uh, some things that happened in my house. I have three boys, and because I have three boys, we have some really cool toys. We don't do Barbies. We don't do, you know, Ken and the pink Corvette. We don't do any of that, all right? In fact, one of our, uh, our most fearful moments as a family with me and my wife, when we found out we were pregnant with a third child, and uh, uh, the reason why we named him Bing is because it was Bing. It was like a surprise. So anyway, um, uh, and we were scared to death that this child was going to be a girl because I know nothing about females. I have one female in my life that I'm clueless about, and I don't need any more. So anyway, um, but because we have all boys in our family, um, we have some really cool toys. And one of the things that we love is Legos. Uh, this past Christmas, my son Bing, uh, six years old, uh, got some Legos, and um, he got a Superman set, and it was really big, really huge, and uh, it's, uh, we, you know, I, how many of y'all grew up on Legos? I mean, I totally did that. It, it, when they, they didn't include instructions, anybody? I mean, now, you know, you get like a tome of instructions. It's like 68 thousand pages. And uh, I'm sitting here trying to go through the instructions because I'm a guy who likes following instructions. And uh, as I'm going through here, I realized I've done some, something wrong because when I take this piece and this piece and try to put them together, they're not fitting. So Bing starts, you know, oh, you know, he starts kind of freaking out because I start taking it apart. He's going, Dad, what are you doing? Why are you taking it apart? And I told him, uh, I says, I'm going to have to take it apart to be able to fix it. And uh, I really feel like in this series that we've been talking about, that is exactly what our Heavenly Father does to many of our lives. Is we feel like God is, uh, he's taking us apart bit by bit and piece by piece. And we start to wonder and we, we scratch our heads, is God really good? And does God really love us? Um, there's so many times when I doubt the abilities and the intentions of my Heavenly Father. And when things go south quickly, when my plans don't come the way they should. Uh, and uh, this whole idea of what do you do when you try to trust God and it feels like your life is being pulled apart. Well, our big idea says this. Big idea says this. God not only wants your whole heart, he wants your heart whole. And many times in our lives... I feel like God, our Heavenly Father, he sees that our heart is torn in two. We have pieces. And in order for us to put us back together, he has to start even disassembling us even further because God not only wants to be everything in your life, we've established that, I think, but God, he wants your life, your heart, whole. And just like my son had to look past his fear into my heart and to trust me to assemble the two pieces of that Superman Lego set, we need to look past our own failures and past our problems, past our troubles, into the eyes of perfect love of a God who loves us. Because he is a God who's ultimately about healing and restoring. And we can relax because he's not trying just to tear us down. He's trying to put us together. 
So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be once again looking at the book of Hosea. I think it's page 697 in the One Church Bible. Or if you have your uh, Version app, you can go ahead and pull that up. And we're going to look at the pain again of what God told this man of God, prophet, to do. Because God said, I want you to go and marry a prostitute. And the reason why God said that wasn't because adultery wasn't a, such a big deal. It is a big deal. He is saying that so that Hosea could have the painful reality and experience the pain that God himself felt every time his people turned away from him into their other lovers. We're looking at this book, Idols, the Other Lovers. This is Hebrews, uh, excuse me, Hosea chapter 1 verse 2 says this. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, Go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other what? Gods. Just as Gomer, that's the the female in the story, substituted Hosea for her other lovers, God's people substituted worshiping God for worshiping other gods or idols. The Israelites, God's people, chose to substitute God for these other idols, stone and wood and gold and silver statues. They substituted something for God. They placed God second, third, or fourth among their priorities. In fact, the word idol is used about seven times in the book of Hosea. But if it uses other words that means idols as well. Look at Hosea chapter 2, verses 5 and 7. It says this. Their mother is a shameless prostitute and became pregnant in a shameful way. She said, I'll run after other lovers and sell myself to them for what? For food and water, for clothing and wood and linen, and for olive oil and for drinks. What he's saying is these things, if you would just keep that verse up, these things satisfy me. That's what they're saying. They're going to run from God to food. And some of you know, and I know exactly what that looks like in our lives. Some of you, you run from God to clothing. I mean, you know kind of what is on the hip and what's happening, and you will go and you will shop till you drop, and that literally becomes a God to you. Or wool and linen for olive oil. If you're Italian, I don't know, right? Um, or, or for drinks, and some of you know exactly what that looks like because you try to drown your sorrows at the bottom of a bottle and every time they keep on popping up. Because we want to substitute God, we want to worship something other than God. And it may be one of those seven things, food, water, clothing, wool, linen, olive oil, and drinks. Here's something I want you to write down. What you are searching for And what you are chasing after reveals the God that is winning the war in your heart. I'll say that again. What you are searching for and what you are chasing after reveals the God that is winning the war in your heart. You see, an idol is what you build your life and your identity around. Where you get your joy and satisfaction. So what is your idol today? The first commandment that God gave Moses in the big list of Ten Commandments, we actually referenced this last week, but this is what it says in Exodus chapter 20. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself any, an idol of any kind 
or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or on the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, I'm a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. And we even unpacked that last week, what it means to be a jealous God. That not, God is not jealous of you, he's jealous for you. Because he created you and me to worship. He created you and me to, I mean, it's like this. Have you ever used a tool or something, maybe a technology, not the way it was supposed to, and you broke it? I've done that. And you thought, okay, it it was meant to be used this way, and you tried doing it this, and you forced it, and it busted. That happens all the time with me because I am not a handyman, right? Yesterday, I got two garage door openers that are broke in the Everson household. It's a wonderful time, right? So I'm trying to figure out, I'm taking one spring off the other and putting it on the other, and the only thing I got as a tool is a hammer, Right? And it is not happy. All right? And this is me not trying to get you to give me tools. If you gave me tools, I would go, what do I do with this? Right? So this, I'm just telling you, this is me. I am good at some things. Handy is not one of them. If your kitchen sink breaks, you don't call it a pasta. You call it a plumber. Right? Because I will mess your house up. All right, but so I'm over here trying to work at this, and I'm I'm breaking stuff, and I'm like, what in the world? Because I'm not using it the way it's supposed to be used for. Let me tell you, our Heavenly Father created you, and he knows exactly what you are to be used for because he made you, he created you, he knows everything about you, he wants to be the biggest thing in your life, and when we try to use our lives and kind of jank it and pull it this way, we, start, we see that our edges start getting worn down and we start getting worn to a nub. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because that's you today. Exodus 20 verse 5 continues. And this is the problem. This is the result of us worshiping after other idols is because it ruins our legacy. It ruins our family. It ruins our children. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is what? I'm sorry, let's say that one more time. The entire family is what? Let me tell you, when you do pornography, the entire family is affected. When you go and you worship hard after drugs or an addictive substance, the entire family is affected. Even the children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because your parents did the same screw-up as their parents who did the same screw-up as their parents, and you're following hard after them. The Bible calls this generational sins. And this whole idea that when you run after something other than God, it doesn't just affect only you. It affects the entire family. When we substitute anything for God, it will destroy our family. I want to show, uh, show you a video of a guy by the name of Phil Robertson. Some of you know him because he's uh, one of the dudes on Duck Dynasty. And um, as I was reading uh, his biography earlier, I found this video. And, you know, he, many of you guys know this. He's a very, they all believe in Jesus and they pray at the end of the shows and all of this stuff. Um, but that's not how he started life. Uh, he started life in Louisiana following uh, hard after everything else but God and substituting God for any and everything else. And he was really good at running away from God. And it affected 
his family. Y'all watch this. When I got to college, I was on my way to being a bone to be chewed, as they say. I started seeing the change of Bill, and this really came when he started spending a lot of time with the football team. Parties in college, you know. It was the 60s. Y'all remember the 60s, don't you? What I saw was Phil, who had never drank before, started drinking. And what happened with me was it was scary to me. Jason was born, so thrilled about another boy. Phil was happier than ever. Unfortunately, the drinking got worse. He would be mad and just be in and out like a flash. And I knew then, but I didn't want to believe it, was running around on me. Probably smoking dope, other things, pills he took, things like that. It was just all new to me, the whole thing. I owned a beer joint when some guy came in with a Bible and he wanted to introduce me to Jesus. I ran him away. I said, get out of here. I'd take another drink. Then we have our new baby, Willie Jess. So there I was, a barmaid who doesn't drink and had three little boys. I've been fighting for this marriage for a long time, and it's not working. But what went on next was horrible. It was like the nightmare of my life. I got in a big bar room brawl. The laws got after me. I went to the woods, of course, and um, hid out. Phil came to me and said, I probably won't surface for two or three months. Do the best you can with what's left here. And he was gone. He became more and more mean and mean-spirited. And what I would tell my boys all the time is, that's not your daddy. That's the devil in your daddy. I would say the low point is when I ran Miss Kay and the kids off. You're all alone, no hope, miserable. That's when I began to serious contemplate, is there a way out of all this? So I came to Miss Kay, and she said, you know the guy that came up there to the beer joint that time and wanted to talk with you? I said, yep. And you ran him off? I said, yep. Why don't you sit down with him and, and just see what he has to say? So when he went through Jesus coming down in flesh, I was blown away when I heard that Jesus died for me, was buried and raised from the dead. Something so, it is simple but profound. That happened back there almost 2,000 years ago. I had never heard it. When we came back home, I think there was a note that said they had gone to the church building. So we headed in there, and when we got into the auditorium, I just stopped because there he was up in the baptistry with a man. And the boys all stopped, and they were on each side of me. And <clears throat> I remember just looking at them, 
And he was, I heard Phil say, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to follow him from this day forward. And I looked down at each one of the boys, tears were rolling down their eyes. Even three-year-old, three-and-a-half-year-old Willie Jess, big tears were coming down. And the next thing I knew, he was baptized. And I come up, and the boys started hollering and singing, jumping all over the place. And they said, my daddy, my daddy saved, my daddy saved, my daddy saved. They were so happy. And it was the... It was the complete family then. You know, you can hear Kay and Phil's words of how he ran hard away from God, and it almost destroyed his family. And again, some of you know exactly what that means because you live one life one way a certain day, and then you live a a total different life another way another certain day and you're trying to keep up and you know you're sober here and you get drunk here and you you do drugs here and you you got to maintain clear here or you know what you have to clear your your search history off your computer here so that you can live this way here and you're living two divided lives and you need to know this that God not only wants to be first in your life he wants you to have a whole life He wants you to have a whole heart. He wants you to quit living in two separate lives. And how he does that and how we see it in the book of Hosea is that God, he disciplines us. He disciplines us. This is what it says in uh, Hosea chapter 2 verse 5. God's response to his people when she pursues other idols. She says, I'll run after other lovers. Is what it says. And and what Hosea is going to find out is those other lovers aren't going to satisfy her. They're not going to give her what you want. I want bread, water, wool. I want clothing. I want food. I want water. I want relationships. I want sexual relationships. I want whatever it is. I want stuff. I want materialism. I want more money. I want more stock. I want, want, I want more promotion. I want a bigger reputation, a bigger car, a bigger house. And all of those things that we give our lives to will leave us more hollow than before. They will leave us not satisfied. So what does God say in verse 6 to his people? For this reason, I will fence her in with thorn bushes. I will block her path with a wall to make her lose her way. Why is God doing that? Because God is out to get us? No. God is disciplining us. And his discipline is always moving us towards himself. In fact, it says this in Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. Look at this. Such a, if you want to know how much God loves you, look at this. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's what? Discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. Next verse. For the Lord's dis- for the Lord disciplines those he what? If you want to know if you are God's child, the question you need to ask yourself is God ever discipline you? I don't discipline other people's kids. Right? Back earlier when I, I was born in 71 and I grew up during that time where if my neighbor saw me doing something wrong, my neighbor would spank me. Right? And my parents was okay with that. You do that today, you get shot. 
right? You do. Because you don't discipline those kids that aren't yours. God says in his word, for the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one as he accepts as his child. You, as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you how? As his own children. Who ever heard of a child who was never disciplined by a father? That's a great question. That's a great question. If God doesn't discipline you as, his, as he does all of his children, it means you are a what? Illegitimate and you're not really his child at all. You see, God loves and because God loves, he disciplines us. Why? Because he not only wants our whole heart, he wants to make our heart whole. He, he, he is doing it for our own good. Just like I am taking the part, the Lego pieces, so I can put the thing back together. And my, and my child is going, ah, right? I'm doing this not to destroy anything or to do any, destroy dreams or anything like that. It's so that we can make it right. I've heard the story about a lumberjacks who, who fall these massive trees. They come to this one tree and there's this bird's nest in it. And they take, they're trying to figure out, okay, we've got to chop this thing down, but we don't want to harm the birds, so what do we do? So what they do is they take the butt of their axe and they hit the tree until the birds fly off. And then they chop down the tree. And then they go to the next tree the next day, and the birds have now made a nest in that tree. And not wanting to hurt the birds, they take their axes and they start hitting the tree until the birds fly off And then they'll chop down that tree. And they'll keep on doing that until the birds wise up and they build their nest on a rock and not in a tree anymore. Let me tell you, your heavenly father is tapping up against the trunk of your life because he's saying, don't build your nest in those things that aren't going to last. Build your nest on the rock so that he can be able to, you can be able to experience the love and the graciousness and the big dreams that he has for you when you're just settling for these itsy-bitsy teeny little, little things that we think are going to satisfy us that never, ever do. Many times God shakes us up to wake us up. And that may be exactly what's happening right now, is you feel God's discipline. And when you do that, you can respond really in one or two ways. You can respond with fear, or you can respond with frustration. For some of you, if you grew up and you didn't have really good parents, when you hear that God is your heavenly father and he disciplines you, your mind already goes back to those times where you were beat and you were abused, and that is not our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father loves you, and He disciplines you because He loves you, and He doesn't over-discipline you. He He doesn't ignore you because you matter to Him. So if you're here and your pushback today is, you know what, I can't understand God as a loving Father because my earthly Father was really messed up. Know that that's not God's fault. That's your dad or your mom's fault. Because as we saw, anytime a person runs from God, that stuff is going to trickle down all the way to the third and fourth generations. So we can, we can respond by fear, we can respond by frustration, and we just throw our hands up and we go, you know what, enough is enough, and we just feel like that God is out to get us. And we learned last week with our big idea, he's not out to pay you back, he's out to win you back. And that is exactly what God does in this, 
in Hosea's story, when Hosea married this prostitute, and then the, and she runs away from Hosea, and she gives away her life and her, basically, livelihood to other lovers, even after he has chosen to marry her, he goes and buys her back. We looked at this last week. Once he gets her back, look what Hosea 3.3 3 says. Then I said to her, you must live in my house for many days and stop your prostitution. During this time, you will not have sexual relations with anyone, not even me. Now, when you read that, one way to look at this is, you know what? This is just Hosea's way to make her feel guilty, a way to crush her with her sexual shame. But let me tell you, I don't think that's what Hosea is doing here. I think there's another way to look at it. Because I believe it, with Gomer's identity, sex was such a huge part of Gomer's self-image. Her whole life, in her whole life, men only valued her for what they could extract from her physically. Maybe God wanted Gomer to learn what it was like to be valued just the way she is rather than how she performs. And for the first time in her life, Gomer would learn what it's like to be truly loved. Not based upon how good she's it or how good she's it with this or that, but just based upon who she is. She had whole habits to overcome, old patterns to break. She had to give up something good for a little while to gain something priceless that lasts forever. And that is a great definition of God's discipline. Facing temporary problems and losses to receive the lasting gifts of what God wants for us. That's what God does. God loves us just the way we are, prostitute and all, but he loves us too much to leave us that way because we were made for something. We were crafted by God for something and into something, and that's what we're going to be talking about next week. God has made us for himself, and our hearts will be restless until we find our rest in God. Hosea chapter 2 verse 7 says, When she runs after other lovers, she won't be able to catch them. She will search them, but will not find them. For some of you, just leave that up, that is the story of your life. Because you have been running after other things to fill this God-shaped void in your life. You've been running hard after them. But it keep, you, you never do find that peace that you want. You never do find the happiness that you're trying to attain. You never do try to find the joy. Some of you have been trying to find this literally with other lovers. And you go from one bed to the next bed to the next bed. And every time you give your heart away, it comes back emptier than before. For others of you, again, you get, you've given your life to substance. And some of it, is maybe it's not even just bad. It's stuff you can just get right over the counter. But you feel like, if I could just get this, I could finally have peace. I could turn off the images in my mind. I could turn off the things that I've experienced in my past. But once you come down out off of that high or out of that low, you realize that you've just added to that pain. You've not taken away that pain. God will not let us be satisfied with anything else except himself. That's it. So what have you been pursuing? How have you been living your life in such a way? Who's winning the war in your heart? 
Because food, money, sex, status, houses, cars, relationships, they can all become idols, stuff that we substitute for God. If you think about it, I believe idolatry is the root of every sin, and it is the root of every disorder. If you look at your life and you see every addiction and codependency and anxiety, idolatry is the root of all of that. All of the disorders of your life, of your eating disorders, of your mental disorders, of all of the disorders in your life, it all comes back to pursuing other things outside of God. So what what must we do? This is the rest of Hosea chapter 2 verse 7. It says this. When she runs... After other lovers, she won't be able to catch up with them. She will search for them, but will not find them. Then she will think, I might as well, what is that next word? <laughs> Let's, it's just an all skate morning, so we all got to say this. I might as well what? I might as well return to my husband because I was better off with him than I am now. Return is such a major theme in the book of Hosea. In fact, the churchy word we use for return is repentance. It means that you're going one way and you stop and you say, I'm going to go back to God. And you start taking those next steps to go back to God. So where are you at today? My challenge for you is this. Think about this. If you are a Christ follower here today, just remember how many times you've walked away from your Heavenly Father. I would say it's a lot because it's been a lot for me. So many times people think that pastors and, you know, clergy and priests, whatever you want to call us, that we got it all together and we don't. Because there's been times in my life that I've walked away from my Heavenly Father because I thought I knew best. And God says, I want you to, to return to me. Think about this. Every time, if you're a cross follower, every time you've walked away from your heavenly father, and he's always, 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 always welcomed you back with open arms. He's never, ever held a grudge against you. He always welcomes you back. My challenge for you, if you know Jesus, is that we are today Who are some of the people that you are unwilling to forgive, even though your Heavenly Father forgives you? Who are those people that have damaged you, damaged your family, damaged your son, damaged your daughter, people that have gossiped about you, people that have just thrown your name through the mud, and you are saying, I am not willing to forgive them? Let me tell you, when you say that you're unwilling to forgive, what you're saying is that you are better than God. Because God is willing to forgive everyone who returns to them, returns to him. He's willing to forgive everyone. And that leads me to those who don't know Jesus Christ. Do you know that your heavenly father made you? He has created you for himself. And today, it is not here by chance that you just kind of showed up just by coincidence. I believe that you're here today because God is wooing you. He is calling you back to himself. And the only thing you have to do is to stop what you're doing 
and turn and return to him. And he will welcome you with open arms. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much, God, that we, through this little book of Hosea, God, that we can find grace and forgiveness there. Lord, that you are relentless in the way that you pursue us. And Lord, you always pursue us. You never ever just throw up your hands and say, I've had enough. We do that with our own kids. I do it with my own kids. But Lord, you never do that with your children. And Lord, we've learned today that whom, who you love, God, is going to be those that you discipline. Why? Because you long to not only have our whole heart, but to make our heart whole. And God, there are people in here today that are literally going to have to be disassembled. Parts of their life are going to have to be torn down so that you can make them whole. Because they've been finding their identity, their foundation, not on the rock, but in things that really don't satisfy, things that are going to go away one day. Lord, I pray for the women in here. Your word says charm is deceptive and beauty doesn't last, but a woman who fears and reverences the Lord shall be greatly praised. Lord, I pray for the men in here. And we think we get our identity by how much we can bench press or how much money we can bring home at the end of the day, how many women that we can conquer. And really, at the end of the day, all of that is going to go away because there's going to be a time when you can't bench press much. There's going to be a time when you're not going to be able to bring home a lot of money. God is saying for you and I today, don't find your identity in fleeting things. Find who you are and whose you are. That you are a child of God who loves you with a love that will not let you go. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.